This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. these books? I thought I'd take some light reading, in case I got bored. Welcome everyone to another episode of Literary Treks, our dedicated Star Trek books and comics show. I'm Christopher Jones, and joining me as he is every week is my esteemed co-host Matthew Rushing. And as some of you listening may know, Matthew and I are kind of on different sides of the football spectrum in the SEC West, and he's taunting me today with his Texas A&M t-shirt. Hey, Matthew. Well, Chris, uh, I didn't necessarily mean to taunt you. I went running, took a shower, <laughs> threw this on, and then I realized that you know we were going to be recording, and I thought, oh, that's kind of funny. Um, but I think a little bit like you, you know, uh, this season leaves me with some apprehension. Uh, not yeah. really sure exactly how Texas A&M is going to do without Johnny Menzel now that he is playing for the Browns and/or what should I say, going to be riding the pine for Browns most likely. So. Well, I wish I had known that you were wearing it because I had on an Alabama shirt earlier today. I could have <laughs> kept it on. But uh, yeah, I'm with you. I don't know exactly you know, where the season's going to lead us either, uh, which is exciting because it's kind of like the comic that we're going to talk about in a little bit, the Q Gambit. We don't know what's going on there, just like we don't know what's going to happen in about two weeks when the football season kicks off for us. It's true, and I'm excited about it. So uh, yeah, gig them. <laughs> Well, we have we have a lot of news today, and then in the feature, we're going to continue our discussion, actually conclude our discussion of the TNG comic series Intelligence Gathering with parts three, four, and five. And during news today, we're going to talk a little bit about part two of the Q Gambit comic, as well as John Byrne's Times Echo, the newest photo comic. Before that, though, Matthew, we received a letter from listener Rebecca Skipper that I wanted to present right up here at the front of the show because I think it's really important. You know, we often talk about the need for audiobooks, more Star Trek audiobooks, and one of our concerns is our listeners who are vision impaired or blind who would like to read the latest books, but they can't, and often the text-to-speech on Kindle is disabled, and we mentioned that iBooks will read those to you. Rebecca wrote in and said, Hi, thank you for discussing accessibility of Star Trek books and iBooks on the Mac for the blind in Literary Trek 69. I agree that we should have more audiobooks, but I also want to point out that many blind students in the U.S. can get a limited number of Star Trek books from the National Library Service for the blind and physically handicapped. Even more books can be found at bookshare.org a site offering lots of Star Trek books in specialized formats for individuals with a variety of print disabilities, including dyslexia and visual impairments. I am more concerned about the accessibility of the comics. And actually, Rebecca has written in to me before asking about comics. 
and how the text is presented on the page? Like, is it part of the artwork or would a screen reader work with it? That's really um, interesting, Chris. I'm glad that she did write in to let us know. Uh, you know, we have uh, talked about this quite frequently. And I, I do think, you know, of all places, you know, of Star Trek books not being available, it, it just seems kind of crazy to me. You know, when we talk about Star Trek and the advances of technology and all that, and right. then to not have their books specifically available to uh, fans just because of visual impairment uh, does seem just crazy. It does. Yeah. I would love to see more availability somehow of the comics as well. You know, it seems like uh, almost doing um, kind of a commentary like you would do for a film would need yeah. to be done to kind of describe yeah. the page and what's happening and those kind of things to go along with it because. You know, uh, so much of a comic does happen visually and not just with text, especially these more so days. than a TV episode, right? Because exactly. I, I, I yeah. actually pulled the audio out of Star Trek episodes and I have them all as audio files. And I sometimes just listen because I actually find new things in the stories that way just by listening to the dialogue because I'm not distracted by the visuals. But but with comics, like you say, yeah, it is a little more difficult to have text only being read to you. But yeah, thank you so much, Rebecca, for writing in and letting us know that. And, and of course, uh, letting so many of the listeners know that I think might have this as an issue. Yeah, definitely. This is something that I suspected, but I didn't know because I, I know that you can get a lot of books read if you're blind and, and there's a service for you to get those. But I didn't know if they had Star Trek books specifically. So thank you for that, Rebecca. And again, the URL that Rebecca has shared is bookshare.org. So if you are vision impaired or if you have dyslexia or anything else that makes reading a challenge for you, go check out that site and see what they have there in uh, both for Star Trek and other things as well. All right, Matthew, well, let's go into our first news story today. And this is the we're going to judge a book by its cover here, I suppose. That's right, Chris. Judging a book by its cover. It's back. You know, you missed us. <laughs> It's back. It's like that character that Jimmy Fallon used to play on Saturday Night Live, the radio DJ. Oh, yeah. And we're back. And we're back. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Judge a Book by its Cover. <laughs> so this is this is David Mack's Disavowed, a continuation of the story of Section 31 and Dr. Bashir. I did see this cover a few days ago, Matthew, and my first reaction to it was kind of mixed. What do you think about it? Well, Chris, it got me really interested, actually, this cover. Um, you know, the look of the cover is very different from most Star Trek books. Um, it has a kind of a grizzled looking uh, Bashir here. You know, you can tell he's been in prison for a while. And um, I, I, to me, it kind of draws me in. It really speaks to that kind of spy nature that we're going to be getting yeah, with this yeah. story. And I mean, the, the blurb, uh, the synopsis is very interesting. You know, that he's going to be tasked by Section 31 with um, the tracking down of this dangerous new technology from the Mirror Universe that the Breen have been trying to get their hands on, which will help them to control the entire galaxy. And... So, is it a giant refrigeration unit? That's a possibility. I think <laughs> that it's a freeze ray. A freeze ray. Yeah, exactly. That's okay. probably like a Doofenshmirtz uh, freezeinator yes, or something. Exactly. Like that. Okay. So, but I, you know, 
the more I've I've seen the cover, the more I'm liking it. I, I do find it sufficiently exciting, Chris. And the reason is, is because it does make me want to open it up and figure mm-hmm. out what this story is going to be about. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you know, what it reminded me of a bit was Alexander Siddig was in 24 a few seasons back. Yes, yes. And so when I saw this cover... That's the first thing I thought of was 24 because it does. And like you said, it has sort of a spy feel to it, which is very appropriate for Section 31. But I immediately thought of 24 and maybe it's the boxes on the cover as well, because they do that thing on 24 where they box in different action that's happening in different places. Yes. Uh, Not only that, but, um, you know, it's got a layout of the galaxy behind him and it's kind of mm-hmm. overlaid with his uh you know service record and all well, these that looks things like it, a, a map from larry nemichik's stellar cartography it does it does so all of this put together really has like i think you nailed it that kind of 24 ish type look james bondian kind of thing so perfect i i'm really sold on this book i i'm i honestly can't wait because you know, I, I think, um, you know, Section 31 is mixed with the fans. And if anybody could find a way to, to finally bring it down, um, I, I think uh, Julian Bashir would be the one to do it. Um, and so hopefully this will kind of be something that uh, David maybe even works into a couple of books here to mm-hmm. kind of give Julian this mission before they send him back to Deep Space Nine or wherever else he decides to do with the character. So. This is just kind of interesting. We were talking about this again. You know, um, we don't know where he's going, what's going to happen at this point. So anything's open. And uh, I know David's going to be kind of picking up some things that he did with his Mirror Universe saga, mm-hmm. bringing into this. So you may want to pick up David Mack's Mirror Universe books and read those before you read this one. I'm, I'm thinking about doing that myself. Good idea. Good idea. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to it as well. You know, I, I've enjoyed the Section 31 stuff uh, with Julian Bashir, uh, Abyss. Again, we did that here on the show way back. So if you look through the archives, you can find that one. See where it goes. Uh, so we also have an update from Dayton Ward about Seekers. Yeah, Chris, this was exciting. Yeah, just checking out Dayton's blog the other day, as I do from time to time, and he just wrote a big old long post about what he's been working on. And uh, there's a lot of tidbits in there, so we'll put the link in the show notes. But a couple of big things. One was Seekers 4, and that him and Kevin have officially signed on for the book. So they're excited to start working on it, especially as uh, Mr. Mack, their partner in crime, he says is going to start working on book three so they can figure out kind of where they're going to be wanting to go. And uh, he said he's really excited about it. So, um, you know, we do know that uh, the Seeker series is already something that's going to be continuing for at least a little bit here, uh, which is great news because uh, I hear that Seekers 1 by our friend David Mack is fantastic. Yeah, we're getting ready to do that coming up soon here on the show. Have you read it yet? I have it on my iPad. I actually pre-ordered it, so it appeared on my iPad. I haven't read it yet, but I plan to sometime within the next, I don't know, three, four days. Yes, I will be jumping into that as well, so I'm excited. Um, it looks like it'll be a quick, fun read. So, uh, And knowing David Mack, who knows? Because lots of people could also die. So, Right. <laughs> well, Dayton also talked about a sequel to From History's Shadow. He said, we've talked to him about this before, actually, I think when we did From History's Shadow and whether he might pick up the story 
He says, "Yes, I'm really starting to get serious about this idea. I've been jotting down random thoughts and other notes as they come to me. And the other day, while I was mowing the lawn, the seeds of an actual plot line began to take shape in my little monkey brain." I still need to flesh things out and get everything ordered the way I want it, but I think I'm going to submit this notion to my editors and see what they say. At first, I thought I might simply pitch any follow-ups as ebook novellas, but I've since come to the conclusion that I have enough meat for a full novel. I guess we'll see what happens. What do you think between full novel versus e-novellas for this, Matthew? Do you have a preference in continuing the storyline? Well, Chris, you know, we liked history from History Shadow so much. Um, I would definitely love it to be a full novel. I would love to be able to get in there and get a whole story because that was a long book um, and it had a lot in it. Dayton crammed so much stuff in there. So I would really like to see, I think, a full novel. I think this is going to be a great story. The idea for this kind of putting together uh, all of these different things, especially with the Gary Seven and all, it just worked really well for me. I, I had so much fun reading that book, especially since Dayton was able to take a Star Trek book title and barely have any Star Trek characters really appear in the story. And mm-hmm. I was still grabbed the whole time. So I, you know, if he can do it again, my hat is off to him because that is a feat uh, and I look forward to it. So I hope we do see this. Yeah, yeah. I, I think in this case, I agree that I would, prefer a novel. Although I love the ebook novellas that we've been getting, but yeah, a novel here would be good. So we'll wait and see what Dayton has come up with. I'm intrigued. I like the fact that the idea came to him while he was mowing the lawn because my ideas tend to come to me in cases like that. I mean, some of my some of my design and marketing campaigns that have won the most awards are things that came to me in the shower. You know, it's like <laughs> there you go. It just it just seed pops in your head and there you go. So that's great. All right, well, Matthew, let's move on and talk about a comic here, The Q Gambit Part 2. I mentioned up front that we have no idea where this story is going, and you said that you love that. Yeah, Chris, and I really do think that that continues here. Um, You know, the last time Q drops the Enterprise next to Deep Space Nine. With some Hadar ships. Exactly, and so we had no idea what time frame this was going to be. Obviously, the station was there, but we really don't know where we are and what's going on, which is just like the characters. And in in a lot of ways, this is kind of what I feel like the ongoing series should be. I shouldn't know what's going to happen. And so I'm really liking that ambiguity here. So spoiler alert, quickly, if you haven't read this yet, you may want to grab it and read it. It'll take you like 10 minutes before uh, you listen to this part, because we're, we're not going to go in depth here, but we might mention some things that happen. So I, I'm i trying to think if I say if I like this or I don't like it. I like, like you say, the fact that we really don't know what's going on. And it's one of those things where you get to the end of the comic and you're like, holy crap, what's that about? And it says to be continued. So then you're really waiting for next month to find out what's going on. So they're doing a really good job of pulling you in there. I still find the mixture of prime universe characters like Gold Ducat and Cisco a little bit strange with Abrams versus Kirk and his crew. But... 
it's it's intriguing for sure. And we had this question. I think we we brought this up when we talked about what was going to happen next in here. Whether this is the Abrams verse or whether they've crossed into the prime universe or whether this is another alternate timeline or or mirror universe. And this is a story where the Federation surrendered to the Dominion and apparently, I'm guessing maybe like fifth season DS9 because Goldicott is here on Terraknor. So are we talking here about a timeline split? Because this clearly seems to be prime timeline Ducat, prime timeline Cisco, but yet history has played out very differently here. So they mentioned something in the comic Mm-hmm. That the Enterprise had been lost a hundred years before, mm-hmm. yeah, and um, they all recognized this Enterprise. I thought it was interesting. This Enterprise is no match for the Jem'Hadar fighters, um, so it clearly states that no matter how big the JJ verse Enterprise is, it's still no match for you know Jem'Hadar ships from the twenty fourth yeah. century. So that I thought that was very interesting. <laughs> also, on this final page where we see Klingon ships, they are the Klingon ships that have the Borg technology on them from the Narada. So that's the Abramsverse timeline, not the Prime timeline. And even if what you're saying, because yeah, I picked up on that as well, they're suggesting that the Enterprise was lost, which I assume means when Q sent them here, perhaps. Right. History recorded that it disappeared. And that changed the course of history. That would suggest that the timeline began splitting at that point, which is exactly what happens with the Abrams verse, that when the Narada comes through, mm-hmm. that's where that timeline splits as well. It's getting very confusing. Well, I think you're on to something, though. But I also think that you can tell, and this is what I was picking up, that the writers have seen all of Star Trek. They know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. If you remember in the Dominion War... Um, Wayun has that conversation once, um, with, uh, I believe that it's Dukat. It, it may have been Dumar at that point where he says that if, if any rebellion is going to happen once we win this war, it's going to start on earth. And mm-hmm. so that is key here because that is also where once, uh, Kirk and his ship have been taken captive. Kirk is thrown in the brig. He meets up with Cisco. They end up getting rescued by the Defiant, and the Defiant is headed back to Earth. Then you also remember that Martok says that the Breen did a run on Earth in a way that even his people had never done. Right. So picking up on two of those things from the Prime Universe and making them actually play out in this universe is quite interesting. Um, because the, uh, obviously the Klingons have taken over Earth, and they are the ones that are in charge of it. Maybe that means that Earth became part of the Klingon Empire instead of the Federation. Who knows? So there are a lot of things in play here, but I do think that we haven't jumped to the Prime Universe. We've just jumped to the future of the JJ-verse. Okay, yeah, that seems most plausible. Yeah, yeah, I agree on that. Although early on in the comic, you get the feeling that you've jumped to the Prime Universe. You do, but I think that's really because of um, Q kind of throws you for a loop. But, mm-hmm. you know, it was very clear, too, in the very first comic that he 
is talking to Picard from the Prime Universe and saying, well, I found this other universe and I'm going to go mess with that because that looks like a lot of fun. So, yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Yeah, I do really like I've got to say, Chris, if you check out page four, some amazing artwork, um, this picture of the Enterprise running away from some Jim Hadar uh-huh. ships with the station in the background, little yeah. um, circles with the different characters uh, talking about what's going on. Just great artwork. Really, really like that. That's also done in Arum's verse style, where you, you have the sense that the ships are traveling through some sort of tunnel, mm-hmm. but yet yep. they are Firing still able other. to fire on each other and such. Yeah. Yeah. I would also like to point out, Matthew, that on page nine, there's a somebody with a little cameo appearance there in the background. There is. Uh, I believe that Jeffrey Combs has made an appearance in the JJ verse as Wayoon. Mm-hmm. So he has. He is very everywhere. Excited. He is everywhere. Now, <laughs> I was a little disappointed because Sirach Lofton does not make an appearance here. That's uh, disappointing. Uh, I thought maybe it would be kind of funny if we had run into Morn as well, <laughs> um, just sitting at the bar. But Yeah, he's looking a little green, though. Maybe he's not feeling well. Yeah, maybe that is him, and he is just looking a little green. Um, uh, or maybe but, that's uh, Shrek. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. <laughs> So all in all, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to talk through this the whole way because I don't no. want to give it away. But I, I'll mention one other highlight is that Cisco punches Kirk. Yeah, which <laughs> was awesome. So he's punched Q, awesome. and now yeah. he's punched Kirk. So I really, really loved that. So if any, you know, if any captain gonna punch Kirk, it's gonna be Cisco. Can I ask you another question? Yeah, that that was definitely awesome. Can I ask you another question though? On page fifteen. There's something extremely distracting on this page. Who are these two people standing behind Spock and Bones? You know, I really don't know, but I feel like they are friends of the artist. That's what I think. Or they are the artists. Yes, it could be. It's so like stylistically, I actually find it very distracting because there's such a mismatch between them and everyone else in the crowd and everyone else in the comic that when you look at the page, those two faces just keep popping out at you. They do. It is very interesting. I I guess that must just be a cameo. So I um, I think it definitely is. Yeah. It's, it's a little bit strange. Uh, Usually these are, I've seen them do this before in here when they did the contest, if you remember like two years ago Mm -hmm. where you could be on the cover and stuff. But this one was just a little out of the blue, no pun intended, since they have segregated all the officers in blue tunics together in this scene. Yes. But it was just a little bit weird. And then the fact that then when they pull in for the close-up, Bones and Spock, they have turned their heads to, to talk but yet this is just, they've just duped the artwork. So these two people have the exact same facial expression behind them, even mm-hmm. though other things are happening. So it's like they're staring at some spot on the wall mm-hmm. or something. It's very weird. Another quick tidbit, Chris, as well, that I picked up on is, for some reason, Keiko is, <laughs> oh, I is to mention that. <laughs> captain yes. or at least in charge right now of the Defiant. <laughs> she is. Which was a little bit odd. It was, but then it was the weird, other thing wasn't that- it? Yeah, that gave it away to me is that when the Defiant goes to warp, it leaves the warp trails like they do in Into Darkness. Okay, 
And so I really do feel like we hear we are here in the Abrams verse. Yeah. Well, also the uh, on the same page where we see Keiko, the transporter effect is also yes, Abrams verse. It's very so. similar to the JJ verse. Okay. So we know we are in the yeah. future of the Abrams verse. Yeah. Here. Which so to me is that. kind of exciting. I mean, uh, you know, Q said that he was going to give Kirk his own Kobayashi Maru, which so what happens if the Enterprise has disappeared, it's created this future, but then you do go back and fix it. How does that all work? And you're, are you just going to create another alternate timeline? Mm-hmm. What's going to happen? Kirk, I guess, is going to have to make a decision. Something like that is my guess. Mm-hmm. Or find another way around it. So that is really exciting. I've Again, I don't know where this is going, but it's not as confusing. I I think as some people might make it out to be. Yeah, it's not, it, but you have to sort of, yeah, pay attention to what's going on. In the which is great. I love that I'm having yeah. to pay attention to my comic. Mm-hmm. You know, I yeah, love it's, that I'm having to try and pick everything up. They're not uh, just going through the motions here and say, oh, let's just put Q in a, sco- in a story, right? They're actually mm-hmm. putting together an interesting tale, I would say. Okay, so that is that one. The other comic we need to talk about, Matthew, is the new issue of John Byrne's New Visions photo comics, Times Echo. And I'm just going to start out and say that I think this is a really cool and intriguing story, but I liked it better the first time I saw it on Deep Space Nine and Children of Time. Yeah, Chris. um, You know, you remember when, way back when, when uh, The Next Generation started? You yeah. had that great first episode and encounter at Farpoint and everything was new. And then the very next episode, it felt like you were for some reason just back in time. Like yeah. this could have been Kirk and Spock and Bones and Yeoman Rand and everybody else. It's cause they had just uh they had just taken the idea from an original series episode and kind of yeah. reworked it a little bit. Yeah, John Byrne did the exact same thing. And the thing that I was talking about last week where I was like, you're going to have to make this worth my money. Mm-hmm. John, you didn't. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, I agree. You know, I started reading it and I was like, okay, well, this is, you know, it's kind of interesting. And then I see what's really going on. And yeah, it's like this. It's, it's not exactly Children of Time, but it's close enough that, Given that that has been told on Deep Space Nine, if I were the editors, I would have said, you know, this story has been done before. And anyone who's reading this is going to immediately pick up on that. I think we need another story if we're really going to make this work. And and not just that, Chris, but I mean, even the very beginning, the very first uh, page here, I'm really just pulled out of the artwork it's it's not good to me it it it, um i mean he's creating new sets and everything in the in the original series timeline they don't look great to me some of the um the colorization of the the different characters who don't fit you know is off um i do feel like our friend dayton ward makes an appearance here this officer right at the very beginning reminds me of Dayton. So I, I almost feel like he's in this this comic. You know, it's this red shirt right here, Chris, uh, here on page one, um, who says, all right, let me hear it for myself. 
to me, he looks a little bit like Dayton Ward. So I, I, I felt. Oh, he does, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah you're doesn't right. he? Yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah. I thought that was great. Um, but yeah, it, there were just some things like that that just kind of really pull me out of uh, the comic. And yeah. uh, I appreciate that that John is trying to do some really neat things here, but I found it sometimes distracting as well. So not only was the story to me lackluster, but I also found the um, some of the artwork uh, the same. Uh, yeah. Now, interestingly enough, though, Chris, um, the comic doesn't end with the end of this Children of Time-esque story. It actually ends with another character story. Yeah, Matthew, there is a little coda to this story. Yeah, uh, it's uh, quite interesting. It, it gives us kind of the, the reason why Yeoman Rand actually leaves the Enterprise. And it turns out that her boyfriend, uh, Andrew Calloway, has been injured. And uh, she decides that there's just no way she could continue on the Enterprise. And um, even though he, he's been injured and he's going to need a lot of help, she feels like it would be best to go with him than stay on the Enterprise. And so she transfers off, which is just a very interesting uh, way to kind of um, give the reason for her not being there uh, on the Enterprise anymore. Uh, I also thought it was interesting that they deal with the, oh, uh, the issue of you know whether or not her and Captain Kirk had a thing. Mm -hmm. I like at the very end, he comes to say goodbye to her. And there's just kind of this look between them, and then she leaves. Um, and the, the, this is where I think he did a great job with the art. The way that he's lit Shatner and his face and everything, there's this remarkable sadness mm -hmm. in, in, in that scene. Uh, and so this I actually thought was really well done. It's just so a very short thing, but I thought it was really well done. So this was your favorite part of the comic. Yeah, Actually, the, it was. Last yeah. Few pages, so yeah. It, because it, it, it added something to TOS for me and mm. in, in a way that, you know, the other comic didn't because I'd already seen that in Star Trek before. So this was really well done, I thought. Do you find it odd that this is tacked on to the end? Is it a case where they didn't have enough content and they needed to fill up the pages? Because when you print, for those who don't know, I, many people know this, but when you print a book or a magazine or anything, you have to print just typically four pages at a time. You know, you can't do two extra pages because paper doesn't work that way. So it's all, it, is this a case of them just not having material? And so they came up with something else at the end? You know, I'm not sure, Chris, if that, that's the case or not. Uh, whether it is or not, it's great that it's in there because, again, to me, it was the best part of the comic. So, you know, I, gosh... I don't know if I would recommend spending seven ninety nine on this comic. I feel like yeah, it's hard for me to do that. Q's Gambit, go out and get that. Buy it now. Yeah. Whatever format you want to read it, it's fantastic. This, it's tough. I I really like the end of it, but you know that's four pages out of fifty page comic. So, yeah, I'm with you uh, now. The previous photo comic we both thought was excellent. But this particular one, yeah, I can't recommend this one either. I mean, if you've never seen the DS9 episode, Children of Time, then you might really enjoy this story because the concept of the story is interesting. It's just that it's already been done in Star Trek and it feels like the story was, for the most part, just lifted right out of that episode. 
And that's just really disappointing that, that he would do that. And so I, I, I cannot really recommend this, this issue either, not only because the story is what it is, but like you said about the artwork, there are a lot of inconsistencies. I mean, there's characters where the hand, the color shifts in the hand of the same character. Yep. Which there's really no excuse for uh, when you're dealing with Photoshop. It goes from purple to blue. And yeah, it's it's not a not a great comic. Uh, the this the strength of this concept, as we said before, with the previous issue, was that the story was so good that you could actually write a book based on it, mm-hmm. or do an yep. episode, regardless of the artwork. And so this, if the strength of this is on the stories more than anything, then this one definitely falls short. Definitely. Well, luckily, Chris, that's not where we're going to end news. We just had one last thing that we wanted to share with everybody. And our friend Dan Gunther caught up with Preston Neal Jones about his development of the book Return to Tomorrow, the filming of Star Trek, the motion picture. And it was a great interview. I wanted everybody just to know that this was out there. Uh, It's available at Trek Core, where Dan's reviews get picked up as well. And so I think everybody needs to go check this out. And I would say order this book before you can. There's only a thousand copies of it out there. There are only a thousand going to be made made available. So make sure you do get yours pre-ordered. I have mine. I'm excited to read this. It's over 600 pages. And after this interview, I am super excited because he says that one of the reasons, just a quick tidbit here for everyone, uh, that it didn't get picked up by an official licensee like Pocket was this isn't a clean book. I mean, it's not a pretty retelling of what happened. It's the truth. It's the nitty gritty and the dirtiness Mm -hmm. of of trying to get the motion picture made. Um, And it it doesn't put everyone in the best light. And so, but being based on all the interviews that he did, I mean, talking to Robert Wise and and, uh, Jerry Goldsmith, I mean, these kind of people, fantastic. So I cannot wait to read this book. You know, Matthew, I also wonder if this is going to be the case with William Shatner's new TNG documentary, which is about to come out uh, next week, that it's maybe not going to be a clean look, like you said, of the early seasons of TNG in the sense that I think he is going to be getting into some of the the tension, some of the ego battles, and some of the unpleasant things that went on behind the scenes getting those first two seasons produced. Well, yeah. And I think that's, that's going to be interesting, especially, you know, coming from Shatner who, you know, George Takei just now is going to be on Oprah again, talking about how uncle Bill was just such a jerk, you know, to them all, which, oh my gosh, let it go. That's your only claim to fame anymore. That and going, Oh my. But um, I think it is interesting to hear this, though, because... Oh, yeah, definitely. Actually, I get really... Last thing, and we'll wrap up news here. I get really frustrated when you see interviews with actors and directors and people where no one will say anything negative about anything. It's like everyone is the best person that they've ever worked with. And and we know that that's not how things actually are behind the scenes. So it, it's very interesting to find out what really went on. They're all like Rob Lowe on Parks and Rec. That is literally the best thing I've ever done in my entire life. Literally the best people I've ever worked with. Best experience ever. Yes. Yeah. It's exactly like that. (laughs) 
All right. Well, well, that is again, we'll put a link in the show notes to that. I go over to TrekCore and read Dan's interview over there. Well, that is everything we have in news. Before we go into the feature here, we'd like to tell you about our sponsor for today's show, audible.com. They're the best source for audiobooks that you will find anywhere. And oh, you know what, Matthew? I think what we should recommend today, since you just mentioned George Takei, they actually have George Takei's autobiography there in audio format. So is it is it read by George Takei too? Well, of course, Matthew, it's read by George Takei. Do you think he would let anyone else read his autobiography? You know, I can't imagine anyone or anything but the dulcet tones of George Takei reading his own autobiography. It it just, oh man, talk about sullying a man's reputation by having somebody else read his own story. <laughs> the thing about this book, though, Matthew, is now this is To the Stars, the autobiography of Star Trek's Mr. Sulu. This was actually released back in 1994, so a long time before the current George Takei that we know. And I guess the, oh my, was he saying that back then? That's sort of more of a more recent thing, isn't it? Yeah, I think uh, that's before the the classic, oh my. I think so, So, yeah. Which is disappointing. I like when he says it. It's fun. So, but yeah, you can get this absolutely free if you go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up for the trial. And when you do that, it really helps us keep literary treks coming to you every week because we will get some money from Audible and that helps us pay for the cost of hosting bandwidth to get the shows out to you guys. So check it out, audibletrial.com slash trekfm. To the stars, the autobiography of Star Trek's Mr. Oh My Sulu. And we thank Audible for their support of the show and the network. Chris, this week we're going to be following up with uh, last week. We started the Intelligence Gathering comics and we did issues one and two. Well, one and two were kind of standalone. Now, one is going to play a large part of what happens in the rest of this comic. Two really didn't. So we decided we could break that up. But three, four and five really do flow right into each other and create kind of one massive story, which I thought was really interesting. In fact, Chris, I'm, I'm was rereading in this again today and I get to chapter three, you know, and I'm reading through it. And then I'm looking for chapter four. I never ever saw chapter four. The next thing I knew it was like at chapter five of the storyline. And uh-huh. I'm like, but where's Jack? Oh, I guess I just missed where it actually started. Yeah. It is like that. If you have the edition that we have, which is just the entire five parts is one long story. There's just that little black strip up in the upper right corner that says chapter three, chapter four. And chapter four starts out right where chapter three ended. It's almost like in DS9, is it tacking into the wind, Matthew? The one where they they start, they're just continuing the story from the last episode and it's got like an eight minute cold open. Yes, yes, I think you're right. It's kind of like that. Like, if you didn't see the last episode, you're going to be wondering, why are they starting right here? But if you watch them back to back, it just flows. And this is exactly the same with these comics. Now, the first page of chapter three, beautiful shot of space stock. Really is beautiful. Um, In fact, uh, I thought it was interesting that it's it's Starbase 215. And, uh, you know, we've seen space stock before orbiting earth but i didn't realize that they also had space stations this big out in you know just 
other places in yeah. space. Because these so, are massive. I saw. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I saw an infographic go by on Twitter the other day with a size comparison, and it had Star Wars and Star Trek elements, and then even nine, you know, science fiction things on there. But they had like the Death Star and Star Destroyers and the Enterprise, and they had one of these space docks, and it was the biggest thing of everything, just absolutely enormous. And how would you build something this big, not in orbit of a planet? Uh, you know, Chris, I, I asked actually the same thing. <laughs> Goodness. Or maybe it now, is in orbit of a planet. There is sort of a haze back there, like maybe there is is some planet there, but it's definitely not at Earth. It does kind of make sense, though, to me when I think about it, you know, that you would have a station this big mm -hmm. far away from Earth. I mean, you, you really do need something that's massive out there because you want something that a, a, a ship can go to and be mm -hmm. fully serviced before yeah. it goes back out. And instead of having to go all the way back to Earth or McKinley yeah. Station or any of the other it, stations that we know of. It's just it's not just a parking deck. For starships, exactly. right? It's yes. like its own like Deep Space world. Nine, where that's really all it is. And that infographic that I'm talking about, it had Deep Space Nine on there also. Deep Space Nine was about the size of like the top of one of these space docks. And that's Yes. Yeah. Yes. In fact, I'm looking at that right now, Chris. You wouldn't think this, but Deep Space Nine is about the size of the top of regular one. That's what mm. it looks like that uh, that on this infographic. So yes, the the space dock is huge. So you're right. This is a beautiful shot. And then we get into the Enterprise, and they're they're showing uh, the Romulan prisoners that they had picked up from the very first issue. Yeah, they are dropping inside. them off yeah. at this starbase, yeah. and they're also doing some repair work on the Enterprise itself. This is fifth season, so this really kind of plays well, I think, when we're talking about does this work fifth season. Mm -hmm. The Enterprise has been out there for a while running all these diplomatic missions and stuff. A lot of wear and tear. And for those listening to this, if you didn't hear last week or you're not listening back to back, just a reminder, these two Romulan prisoners are the guys that were riding the jet ski type things inside the Daystrom One memory core where Riker and Data were. Definitely. So, yeah, I, I think this, this is uh, a great thing. And this comic, because really is picking up that storyline, which is funny, it's almost like comic two never happened. Uh, it really does feel like that. It's weird. And you know what's also strange there? We've seen this with other comic series as well, where like comic two or three feels like it's filler to make a five-part series where like the other four comics seem to go together and there's just this one that's there some somehow. Yeah, it is a little bit odd, um, but I, I really like this. And, and so... They're they're picking up engineers to help them fix the Enterprise, and there's this great little conversation between O'Brien and um, Jordy about you know he's like how do you do this just standing in the same office day after day? I mean mm -hmm. you don't move from this transporter room, which I really didn't get that point because you remember on Deep Space Nine when he joins the station and Picard comes to send him off and he says transporter room three this is your favorite isn't it? So it doesn't seem like that's the only place that he works. Well, may maybe he's in a transporter room most of the time. So maybe it's not the same one, but they all look the same probably inside the ship. So Exactly, exactly. But, you know, O'Brien, just thinking here, I like the fact that they do bring in O'Brien. We're going to have O'Brien go with Geordi so you get him something more to do. But I'm also thinking that one reason he might enjoy this 
is the same reason that we see Uhura in the search for Spock taking the post that she takes. And we know O'Brien's backstory. We know his history fighting Cardassians and all. It could be that he just wants a break and running the transporters on the Enterprise is kind of like a nice, easy job for him and he can just relax a bit. I, I think you're right. And I also think um, at the, when you think about all that O'Brien goes on to do, Later mm-hmm. on in Deep Space Nine, how much he learns probably from being on the Enterprise as mm-hmm. well. I mean, uh, and uh, he is with one of the best chief engineers, Jordy, and uh, Data, of course. Tons to learn there. And then, of course, we get O'Brien being a whiz kid as well when it comes to engineering things. So I think he, he did well to, to pick a, a good place to be. Um, and I, I think it plays out well and it. It makes for just an interesting storyline for O'Brien. I like your thought that, yeah, the guy needs a break. I mean, he's been yeah, in you need a break sometimes, quite a few so. wars. And so yeah, it makes uh, sense yeah. to me. Now, this we're going to go over. They, they receive a distress call from another starship. And uh, they head over there. And this is the USS Jackson, which I can imagine like on the bridge, there's like... Muzak playing all the time. It's like Jackson Five, Michael Jackson, you know, rock and music. Oh, rock and Robin. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Well, you know, <laughs> yeah, there you going. go. I can totally picture it. And, um, I do, I do love that they go to the Jackson, and of course, what is it? But it's an Excelsior class yeah, vessel. Of course. I, I mean, like, I yeah. Uh, why, why, why? It, There's a little bit, you know, as we go through this comic. It's like they're mining TNG and throwing in every little thing that they can. And maybe not even just TNG, but even all through Star Trek. So you've got an Excelsior class ship here. You've got an Adosian on the bridge, like A-Rex, but wearing a TNG era uniform, of course. And then we're going to see more things that get thrown in along the way. And this engineer here, Carl, this very old engineer who's still a lieutenant commander is this the story of what would have happened to argyle if he hadn't gone into gin distilling as a business and he had continued to be an engineer all these years chris i think you're on to something there i I actually (laughs) did feel like that was the case um so this is really kind of a mystery you know they get a priority one signal they go to meet the jackson they show up in the you know the captain of the Jackson's like, um, hey, how's it going? <laughs> Can I help you? Why are you here? And Ricard's like, he's, I mean, he's been pissed this whole line of comics right now. He's just <laughs> yes. not been happy. But he's really not happy at this point. He's like, um, because you sent a priority one signal. And uh, yeah, that's why I'm here. So what's going on? And it turns out to be their chief engineer uh-huh. was the one who sent this out. Yeah, the captain didn't send out any signal. In fact, the captain is, his attitude is like, I am way too handsome to be talking to you, Jean-Luc Picard. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> I feel like, uh, yeah, that he he was working on his hair gel before he got called. And so, yeah. so they beam over to the Jackson. They take O'Brien with them because he knows excelsior class vessels apparently he had served on one before uh, maybe the rutledge was a, a excelsior class vessel and so Jordy decides that it would be good to have somebody who's more of an expert in that type of ship 
to to go with him, which yeah, makes complete sense to me. And Jordy's at this point, he's just trying to get O'Brien out of the transporter room sometime. Mm-hmm. So the captain of the Jackson and Picard are talking. He says, look, my original chief engineer just retired after 15 years. This new guy came in and it's just been crazy since then. And he keeps having all these wild stories about this weird wave he keeps seeing and nobody can see it. So I can find it a quarters. I, I found it interesting because I deal with IT people a lot and in business to business. And these are shops with, you know, mainframes and, and, the people stay there for a very long time. And so they talk in here, this engineer is talking when they've got him in his quarters, like you said. And he says, my predecessor must not have believed too much in updates because most of the engineering protocols and fail safes around here dated back 15 years. And I thought that's exactly what happens in a lot of corporate IT shops, that the guys have been there for 15, 20 years, same guys, and the fail safes and the protocols and the software and everything they're using and their procedures still date back to that time. And if you try to tell them, here's something that's a new threat, they'll say, ah, nah, nothing to worry about. And it's sort of the case here with this engine too. Like this this wave that he's detecting that makes them think that the ship is in imminent danger is something that was supposed to have been solved a really long time ago. Right, which... Uh makes the captain not believe him when he right. says he's he's found this. It's like, yeah, we've, we've solved this problem like 20 years ago. Yep. So Captain Picard meets up with O'Brien and Jordy, and they decide, look, we'll do our own tests here on the Jackson to figure things out. And Jordy and, and, and O'Brien can't find anything, and they're kind of worried that, you know, maybe this engineer has just gone nuts. They start and then whispering all of a sudden, to each other. Yeah, which was great. Can you ask me this? Why does the engineering section of the Jackson look just like the engineering section of the D? Because they, they're just reusing the sets, Matthew. You know, it's very common. You just redress a set, save some money in yeah, production. <laughs> yeah, all that pen work, it's right. tough. Yeah, okay, okay, I got it. So they end up finding uh, that this wave is happening, and it starts a warp core breach on the Jackson. And it's spreading. So they start beaming everybody off the, the Jackson and trying to figure it out. Um, and they end up finding this little device in a Jeffrey's tube that is causing this wave to seem to happen. And it turns out that, in fact, they were never in any danger whatsoever. But this this little device, they found one on the Enterprise D as well has been used to create the effect of the wave without actually putting anybody in danger, which is so weird because you have I mean, you're just like, what is going on with this kind? Like, why is this happening? Yeah, and this is where I talked about how they start mining like every little thing that we've seen before, where we've seen cases where these devices, not this particular device, but a device like this, has been attached to the ship somehow in, in different Star Trek and causes some sort of, of issue. But yeah, you're you're thinking, okay, well, this is weird. And so someone's trying to sabotage this. Did you ever think that Carl himself had put it there? Actually, I didn't. 
because you know we we had dropped off the Romulans, and at this point, I I felt like maybe they had something to do with it. Mm-hmm. And so, but, but not on the D and the Jackson both. That would have been too um difficult to pull off. I mean, I I I just for me personally, I just felt like that they were involved somehow. Okay with what was going on and yeah, which I didn't they know are exactly, right yeah i didn't know exactly how but it just but at this point we don't know yeah to, to mean something you know we had the romulans at the beginning and um we've just dropped them off at the star base so we're referencing that again so i felt like that meant something and then then you know picard this is what's so interesting picard says that he wants to get to the bottom of this that maybe they're being led somewhere so the very next scene which actually starts the next issue Mm-hmm. Is him and Data and stellar cartography, yeah. which I mean, just reminded me how much I love that set from Generations. Like, fantastic set. Oh, it's a great set, especially in the theater. The first time you saw it, you're like, "Wow, this the entire room is this really for you too." I'm glad you mentioned that this starts Chapter Four because this time I missed it as I'm flipping through as we're going and <laughs> didn't realize that this is the start of Chapter Four. Which is so funny because it really is so easy to do to have yeah. that happen because it it literally just picks up. The, I mean, you feel like it is the the next scene, like that him and Data would yeah. go to Star Trek. Now, of course, originally, if you were buying these one at a time as they came out, you wouldn't have this problem. This is very true, um, <laughs> but it, it is. Um, I really, I really love this because one, it 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 kind of. There's a few things that they do in this comic to kind of mesh a few things with some of the the, the TNG movies. Yeah. And one of them is is having stellar cartography here, which to me makes sense. Um, yeah. You know, it doesn't pull me out or anything. It, I just believe it's just something they never used before mm-hmm. Generations. Sure. Um, oh, or they did, and you just never saw it. So. Well, now on the next page, again, mining more things, Three ships show up, and who is it? Well, none other than the Packlids. Which, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they all have the same exact reaction. Like, what are they doing here? And right. apparently their ships have been upgraded. Are they lost? They ha- <laughs> yeah, they have um, serious weapon capabilities. And instead of them, like, putting up a huge fight, they just crash into the shield of the Enterprise and destroy themselves. Yeah, but th- th- their approach is weird. They they show Picard looking on the view screen, and there's this Packlet, and he the Packlet says, "You think we are stupid, but we are smart. We will destroy your ship." And Picard says, "We have no disagreement with you. Surely, let us talk." Request denied. We will scavenge the remains of your ship for technology and materials that we can use to expand our empire or sell to the highest bidders. Prepare for our attack. And Rikers expand their empire. There's no Packlet empire. Deanna, why are they talking like that? So you get well, the feeling the, like they yeah. are possessed, right? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And it is very interesting because, you know, one of the we, we've talked about before, and uh, I think you and John and Ken talked about on the Ready Room uh, a few yeah. weeks ago mm-hmm. about the, the need for Deanna uh, oh, actually yeah, yeah, on yeah. the show. And mm-hmm. she plays her part here very well saying, yeah, th- there is something wrong with these guys. They are not in their right minds. Um, and then it turns out that they ram themselves into the shields of the Enterprise and completely obliterate their ships. Yeah, it's... And so it turns out that they are possessed and the Enterprise follows 
their warp trail back to find out where were they before they came here. And so they go to this planet and they find a place where there are bodies there. And some of the crew beam down and they beam back up. And then Troy, Deanna, and Roe become possessed by whatever possessed the Packlids in the first place. And then they go on an awesome ass-kicking rampage, which <laughs> I got to say, um, if if you're looking at this comic, page 84 is a highlight. Roe kicks some guy, and then you got um, Crusher just punching somebody in the face. And then you have Troy doing this like flying leg kick into somebody <laughs> yeah. and knocking them out. It's just awesome. So, I mean, if you ever wanted to see those three characters just kick the crap out of some people... <laughs> It happens on this page. In fact, Deanna at one point gives this guy a flaming dragon punch straight out of Street Fighter. Oh, she <laughs> does, awesome. doesn't she? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's actually page 83, 84, and 85. So we got like a three-page fight scene here with the ladies from the Enterprise D. And then you get to the next page, and they're on. they made their way to the battle bridge, and this would scare me if I were on the ship. You've got Deanna at the helm and Beverly in the captain's chair. Well, this is true. I mean, <laughs> I you know, I don't know how badly it scares me that Beverly is in charge there on the battle bridge, but Deanna at the helm, yeah, because we know what she's going to do in a few years with the Enterprise D. It's and not good. Think, too, the, the star drive section is not as aerodynamic as the saucer. For a crash landing. Oh my gosh, yeah. no kidding. Uh, that just does not seem like a good idea. I, I thought that this was interesting, Chris, and this is one of the parts of this issue that I didn't quite get. So Worf and Data go in and they control Crusher. Mm -hmm. And then all Riker has to do is sweet talk Deanna out of out of you know her like mind thing. Deanna, it's me, it's Will. Everything is all right now. Imzadi. Break through, Deanna. Come Imzadi. back to me. You could do it, Imzadi. Yeah. And then she falls into his arms. I'm like, what is this? Are really, <laughs> really, that's going to be your way of kind of getting out of this situation in this comic? It did seem a little odd, right? That that's all it takes is like a touch of the hand from your Imzadi. And suddenly, whatever alien has possessed you and and your crewmates it's just gone like did it did it like fly out of her ears or something that we didn't see you know the only thing i can think and and it there is a reason for it deanna being who she is has the empath and all that she can break through this mind control and so yeah. I'll let it go, but it is a very rather silly. Now I like the next page. They they beam down, Riker and Worf, and who is back? But Doctor Salar. Salar, yeah. Thank God. So, yeah, I mean, that's a plus right there. It's kind of like if you put Leffler in the comic, I would, it would bump it up a whole point in my rating. And yeah, I uh, I had trouble moving on from this page actually. <laughs> just it it just wanted to stay there. Um, but it turns out they find that they had killed the security officers that they had taken down there, the, the three ladies who had been possessed. 
and they find a Ferengi thought control device. Right. So here we are again. Let's find something else from the next generation that we can throw in the story. However, it does explain what you didn't know on the previous page with the Imzadi, the fact that they're being controlled by this Ferengi mind control device that was used against Picard makes a little bit more sense, right? That, well, if, if it's only that, it's not actually being possessed by an alien, then the fact that Riker and Troy together might break it makes a little more sense. Right. Um, and so we end up with Riker and Data and Picard on the bridge talking about what's happened and talking about that. So we've been pulled to all these different places. Where are we going? And, and, Picard finally asks, you know, can you determine our intended destination, the the destination that we're supposed to be going here? And Data says yes. Um, and I love what Riker says. Clearly, this is a trap. Mm -hmm. And Picard's like, of course, it's a trap. But that's what we're going to we're going to go spring it. I like Picard's what he really says is it would be a trap if we didn't know something's waiting for us. As of now, yeah. it's an appointment and one I intend to keep. Bum, 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 which, to be continued. On which the next I page love just us. because, um, again, uh, I'm really too seeing just kind of a, a good transition of that Picard from the show to the movies. If you're kind of picking that up, like he, he's he's not as, you know, easygoing Picard in the sense of like he he's quicker to be upset here he's he's mm -hmm. more ready to be in the action um and he'll definitely be in the action later on as we get into part five here he'll actually beam down mm -hmm. and so part five they they head over they set course and they arrive at this planet where you know alien of the week comes on the screen to tell them that their chancellor their planet's chancellor has fallen victim to an assassination attempt and that their surgeons are doing everything that they can, but they still can't uh, heal him. They can't make him better. They're really worried. They need assistance from the Enterprise. And it's also pointed out, again, that this is not a Federation world, but it is an affiliated world. And so as we talked with the episode about the dam, here again, the Enterprise is a ship that just goes around to different planets that aren't even members of the Federation just to see if they can, you know, lend assistance to a leader who someone has tried to assassinate. Well, and at least at this one, they're being pulled there for a reason they mm -hmm. don't know about, but they're going there for a purpose. It wasn't just like, you know, they happen to be called, you know, on the special Federation bat phone. <laughs> hey, we need a me mediator. Can you send that Picard guy, that Johnny Luck picker? That'd be great. We it's hear like, he's the best. I picture if you go to a restaurant, you know, and you put your name on the on the seating list and they give you that little thing that vibrates when your table's ready. Yeah. <laughs> I think Picard has one in his pocket. And when the Federation needs the Enterprise, when it's their turn, it vibrates. And then that's when they have to go and mediate some kind of dispute somewhere. Your yeah, dispute it's, it's is ready. It, it's like how doctors have pagers inside the <laughs> yeah. hospital, you know, to get called when they're needed. Yeah. And that's exactly what he's got in his pocket. <laughs> so um, they send Dr. Crusher down with data uh, and uh, a medical team. And 
Picard says, at least on this page, that maybe Dr. Crusher could be the target. And so they're going to send Data down with her to keep her safe. And as they beam down, we see in the in the uh, foreground here some Romulans saying, we're in luck, they brought the item. Mm-hmm. And instead of grabbing Crusher, they grab Data and then they beam out. Yeah. Now, we don't know for sure that those are Romulans, really. I mean, they're, they're completely in silhouette. But you can tell, I mean, if you look closely, that they're Romulans. And knowing what's happened previously in the story in the first issue, then you you think, okay, Romulans. But what got me is, yeah, they grab him. They beam him away. Beverly turns and says, Data. But then later on, she seems to not know who it was that took him. She's like, some people grabbed him. And at least the way it's drawn... You would think Beverly, Beverly saw them disappearing. I mean, the Romulans, they're not disguised. They're wearing their full Romulan military uniforms. It does seem like, from the way it's drawn, that she saw him. Apparently, the eyesight was off on the drawing. <laughs> <laughs> she actually didn't see them. And so um, then we get to the next page, and Picard tells Riker, look, uh, Data and I kind of suspected that it mm-hmm. might be him that they were after the whole time. And we've had Jordy implant a, a homing beacon inside of him so we can find them. And they turns out that he's about 600 miles away in a, some sort of mining facility. And Picard's done. He's like, all right, you, Worf, Riker, let's go. We're, we're going to figure this out. And they all beam down, which I thought was really interesting because again, it's it's Picard. He's having a different attitude. He wants to get to the bottom of this himself. He he's tired of being you know pulled around on a chain, yeah. like a dog, not knowing where he's going. And I can see that. And I can also see where they thought maybe Data's the target because if you put yourself in their shoes as you read through this comic, and even though the second issue doesn't seem related to the overall story. Think about what happened at the beginning. Jordy figured out in issue one that whoever these people are, they're after Data. And then, of course, now we know it's Romulans in issue one. They find out that Tomalak is there. But if you think about, if you're in Picard's shoes and you've just been dragged here and then immediately you're dragged here and then you're dragged here and all these weird things are going on and you remember someone's trying to get Data at the beginning, then... I also would be fed up, first of all, and I would feel like I'm going to get to the bottom of this myself because I am tired of my ship being dragged all over the the quadrant on this wild goose chase, and none of it makes any sense. And then I would also be very suspicious that, okay, someone wants data for some reason. So they beam down, and they end up in this room, and this is where another movie tie-in. They have the little... Uh, tiny Romulan interceptor that we'll see in oh, Nemesis. Yeah, they do. Um, the one so, that's on and, the scimitar is it exactly. like the Riemann ship. Um, yeah. You will also notice that this room looks a lot like um, Cerebro, but a bigger one from the X-Men. So they're pulling <laughs> in a lot of things. And uh, Tomalock is there as mm-hmm. well. And it turns out that after their whole... You know, search with the Iconians a few years ago. They started researching their technology, trying to look for more gateways. 
they really wanted to be able to find a way to kind of harness that technology and they found this gateway here on this planet they constructed this dome to keep them safe but little did they know that this gateway led to some place that they really didn't want to be opening you got to be careful with gateways like this you know you don't want to just be hopping around the places unknown we we saw what happened to kira in the ds9 relaunch series when she went through a gateway these things are not things to to mess with and yeah so the obviously you know why the romulans would want it i mean they can send an invasion force right to earth and march their soldiers right out there on the planet but they're screwing around with some technology that they shouldn't be messing with here and of course kind of like the borg letting species 8472 into our space same thing here some other weird creature yeah that's going to come through and Except this looks like they went straight to that universe from Starship Troopers. Yes, exactly. Yeah. D what do you think about things like this, Matthew, with with stories where it's... And Starship Troopers is a great example, actually, where writers will portray these aliens as being these hideous creatures that are based on you know, cockroaches or worms or all sorts of things. And you just feel like there's no way that these creatures would exist with technology and be coming after you. It, it feels like, does it diminish the threat to you at all? I mean, it's like horror flick almost. I don't know. I mean... You know, with being a comic, I can kind of let it go a little bit more. I mean, generally and... speaking, though, because we see it not just in yeah. comics, but we see it in movies yeah. and TV and um, everywhere. Hmm. I don't know. That's a great question. I, I, I think I'd have to give it some more thought. In some stories, I think it works, and in others, I don't. The, um, this one if was... It, and if, if these were just creatures trying to come through, it would be one thing. But these creatures actually talk in here. And they say that all who are not of the whole must be consumed. That which is other will be consumed. You're young, you're females, you're worlds. Once we have clawed our way into your plane, we shall consume all. Then only the whole will remain. You only delay the inevitable end of every one of you. And in that scene, you know, it's a, it's this gray face with glowing red eyes and 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 sharp teeth, and it's just purely a creature. It's, I don't know, you can present a threat that way, but it's not as interesting to me as if it yeah, really were some other advanced race that was going to come through. Yeah, it's not. Um, it It is a little bit Species 8472-ish with, with even crazier, mm -hmm. it's like beefed up 8472. So, bigger teeth. Um, what I did like is that they actually do kind of tie in uh, issue two mm -hmm. and a couple of these creatures get through and they're fighting them. Their phasers aren't having any, you know, effect. And Worf hops in that little ship. Um, he notices that little ship and he hops into it and starts shooting the aliens with that. And uh, Picard says, well done, Worf. And he's like, I thought we needed a bigger stick, <laughs> right. which to me, was just kind of a callback that Worf does things the Worf way. Well, you know, this, figure them out, you know, the Worf answer. This was the Worfian solution. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Just get a bigger stick. Yeah. So. There's um, always a bigger stick. 
That's right. <laughs> so it turns out that um, the only way that they're going to be able to shut this gateway down, keep this uh, these aliens from coming in, is that somebody is going to have to stay back and um, close down the portal. So one of the Romulan um, Centaurians who's older says that he'll do it, and he just manages to get it closed. And Picard confronts Tomalak, saying, you know, why didn't you just ask for our help? You dragged us halfway across, you know, the quadrant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, you almost killed, um, you know, the leader of this world, all to just get us here. Why didn't you just ask? And I love that Riker says, Romulans fear disgrace more than death. And the very last line is, at least one of you understands us. Yeah. Yeah. It. What do you think about the concept here, though? Something we didn't really clearly state here is that the reason that they were trying to get data throughout this entire series is that Tomalak and the Romulans knew that maybe data, because of his positronic brain and his knowledge and his knowledge of Iconian technology, he might be able to close this portal for them. So they just, they needed data. And Tomalak tells Picard that your assistance was required. And that's when Picard goes into the, the thing about why didn't you just ask? Isn't just a crazy, crazy roundabout way to try to get some help to close a portal? Yeah, I think at that point it was like, this is so convoluted. This would yeah. never work. Like, um, But at the same time, it was an interesting jaunt through uh, season five of of TNG characters yeah. and and character growth and kind of watching what they were doing. Uh, I thought I thought like here in this comic, kind of tying things together with what we see in the movies as well. And there's just a lot of things going on here um, that I I really liked. In fact, you even get another callback to Nemesis where Data says that he'll stay uh-huh. and and blow it up because he could do it. And so again, you know, Data being willing to give his life for uh, the universe at large at this point. So, um, I, yeah, I really, I, all in all, I think that this is is a good comic series, um, especially all together. Um, I think you do need to read them all together. It makes more sense that way. Yeah. You know, you'd probably just pick up the trade paperback or um, the whole book from, from Comixology, so I would just recommend you do that. And I guess if I was going to rate it, Chris, I'd probably give it... Um, Seven out of ten Solars. Oh, so, nice. Yeah. yeah. I think I'll give it one big convoluted plan. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> I should have thought of that. Dang. But uh, yeah, I agree. It's a fun series. I mean, it's got some... I feel like there's maybe a little bit too much of mining different things like the Ferengi mind control device and the pack lids and just so many different things that have happened. Sometimes when you're writing, you can, you can put too much stuff in. You can try too hard to fit too many things in. And I think that happens a little bit here, but the artwork is good. Uh, I think it's an interesting story. I think it's it's written well. The voices sound good. You know, it does feel like a fifth season TNG episode, which which we decided last week. But it continues that way all the way through the final three here. And a little bit of an easy out, as we talked about with uh, Mzadi. But uh, there's some close-ups of Solar in here. So, yeah, I'll, I'll give this a, a good rating. I think it's definitely worth a buy. 
Well, Chris, that's a great comic, but that's not the only thing we've been talking about here on Trek FM. So here's a quick look at some of the things you may have missed on some of our other shows. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. Everything that we do has to exist inside of this little box. This and, window, yeah, if you will. Right. And you can you can do whatever you want inside there, but once you step outside, you know, it's the real world. Earl Grey. That's, you know what I mean? And then Star Trek V is all about crapping all over the rest of the movies that just came out. <laughs> Axonar, the official podcast. When you're in the edit bay, as soon as you put one image next to another, it's this instant gratification. It's this great creative jolt which happens every time you start juxtaposing your images and when you start seeing things fall into place, it's it's really galvanizing and it's really thrilling, actually. And I love feeding off that kind of, of energy. The Ready Room. Well, you know, time is not really linear, Char. So the monkey, he's always been there and he always will be. <laughs> I take the Janeway stance on time travel. It gives me a headache. The Orb. Batman also creates a contingency plan for all the other superheroes just in case something goes wrong with them. So, it So what does he do for the Wonder Twins, for example? Like how is he going to take them out if Um, I think he just separates them eternally so they okay. can't smack their hands together. To the journey. We have like a whole bunch of geek aliens like they're wearing their own superhero t-shirts. They're eating <laughs> hot pockets. They have headphones oh on and they're all in their own little, you know, 24th century room. But they're like, dude, dude, I totally just pwned the Voyager. Commentary, Trek stars. And underlines the goal of Prexy Gail Berman to re-energize the pipeline while revitalizing the PAR brand with top tier talents such as Abrams. I love Trace. You have no idea what you're saying at this point. Warp 5. He can put her mind at ease about these kinds of things because he can just, you know, you know how Trip is. Like, let's, you know, let's have some catfish and, like, just hang out. (laughs) Continuing mission. We actually spoke with uh, CBS legal team, and uh, that was one of the things that we that we had told them is that we all of our visuals were all original scenes. All of our animation was going to be original. All of our music would be original. So we would not be stealing any content from the original era. Mm-hmm. And and they liked that a lot. Literary tricks. And I just love that because it is very true. You know, Picard in some ways kind of has that Yodaness about him where he will kind of speak in a riddle and he wants you to figure it out. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Nice, Matthew. Great transition there. I think that's the first time you've ever let us into the promo spot, isn't it? Well, Chris, I just figured I'd do what I can for the rest of our <laughs> friends here on Trek FM and their great shows. Very good. Yeah, so check out all of these shows and find out what we're talking about. We cover every aspect of the Star Trek universe here on the network, and you'll find us everywhere that you get your podcasts. So just search for Trek.Film or the name of the show you want to listen to, and you'll find us. Be sure to subscribe to the Master Feed as well. That contains every episode of every show that we do and some other special audio content that you can only find there in that feed. We've been asking everyone to leave us reviews recently. Our reviews promotion is ending today, in fact. If you're listening to this, you might still be able to get your review in. The deadline is Sunday, August 17th at midnight Pacific time. We'll be running another promotion later on in the year sometime. But even between promotions, we really encourage everyone to please leave us some ratings and reviews 
on iTunes and Stitcher because those actually make a difference in how we place and search results. We'd love to hear from you, definitely. And we also want other fans to be able to find the show as fans of Star Trek books and comics. So help us out. It only takes a moment and we really appreciate your reviews. And Matthew, we have received a lot of reviews and we're compiling those right now and we'll be reading them on a future show for everyone. We don't want to leave anyone out, so we're going to get those prepped up for you. If you'd like to leave some feedback on today's show, there are a number of ways that you can do that. Just go to trek.fm slash contact. There's a form there. Choose to send to a show and choose Literary Treks and that will come to both Matthew and me by email. We're also on Twitter. Our username is trek.fm. Facebook.com slash trek.fm. We have a community on G+. Forums at trek.fm slash forums. You can even send us a voicemail. Look in the left sidebar on the show page on the website and you'll see the tool for that. Or go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm and you can contact us that way as well. And all you need is the microphone on your web camera, your smartphone, or your tablet, and you can upload it there from that page. Now, Matthew, when you're not cutting out those pictures of Solar from the comic and making a collage for your wall, where can people find you? Man, it's so hard to do on a digital comic there, Chris. Uh, (laughs) Well, you can find me. (laughs) It's so expensive. I'm Matt Rushing 2 there on the Twitter you can also find me doing The Orb with you or talk about Deep Space Nine. Uh, and then, Chris, you can also find me on my personal blog at 42lifebetween.wordpress.com. Now, Chris, when you're not trying to find ways to break up the Anzati couple so you can have Troy all to yourself, where can we find you? But I never let her drive. Probably a good call. <laughs> That's right. I, I did want so my insurance rates went way up. <laughs> you know... Apparently, you crash a starship and they get all pissed off. No, takes years to get that stuff back down. So, Woo, they, can you take defensive driving for that? <laughs> you can find me on Twitter. Also, my username is C Brian Jones. Letter C and Brian with a Y. I'm on Facebook, Facebook.com/slash C Brian Jones. Feel free to hit me up there. And then I have my website at cbrianjones.com. Elsewhere on the network, you can find me on so many shows. Of course, doing the orb with Matthew. Also, the Ready Room continuing mission, Matter Stream, Hyper Channel, Warp 5, and the official Star Trek Axanar podcast. I'm on a lot of different shows, so tune into those if you want to hear more of my thoughts on the world of Star Trek. Before we let you go, we would like to remind you about Audible.com, our great sponsor for today's show, and to the stars, the autobiography of Star Trek's Oh My, Mr. Sulu. That's not the actual title of the book. The oh my is not in there. It's from 1994 and George Takei is narrating it himself. And you can get it absolutely free if you go to audibletrial.com slash trekafilm and sign up for Audible. You're going to love the service. If you love podcasts, you'll definitely love audiobooks. And if you're not an Audible customer yet, then this is a great chance for you to get a free audiobook and support the show at the same time. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And we really thank you for supporting Audible. And we thank Audible for supporting the show and the network. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, live long and read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one.